Amen. There's a special anointing on the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit today upon this congregation to hear the word of the Lord. And we're going to have to get in the word of the Lord because we got a lot of uh, territory to cover here in this sermon. But our text is known as a period of time that will happen during what the church calls the Great Tribulation Period. My message this morning is not necessarily on the tribulation or the second coming of Christ, even though that is what these scriptures mainly deal with within the, our text. My main goal today is for us to see a pattern that God seems to use throughout the scripture when something significant begins to happen in the spirit realm. And before I go any further, how many believe that there's something significant stirring in the spirit realm right now? There is a pattern that God wants us to see in this sermon this morning. When we examine exactly what these scriptures deal with, we see that Zechariah teaches us that Jesus will become the king of the world. Not that he isn't already, but at this particular time, they, all of the world will recognize him as the king of the world. Zechariah outlines the worldwide triumph of the Messiah. And notice what happens before the second part of the first coming of Christ that our text is dealing with. We know that the second coming of Christ is in two parts. The first part is the rapture of the church and this is when the world does not even see Jesus Christ but the saints are snatched away and caught up in the air together to ever be with the Lord. We call it the rapture of the church. That's found in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 through 18 which we don't have time to preach on this morning but we know that the dead saints are going to rise first and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them, to, with them and we're going to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what we call the first part of the second coming of Christ because it's in two parts. But the second part of a second coming is when Jesus returns back to earth with ten thousands and thousands of his saints according to the book of Jude and all will see him and those that pierced him will mourn according to the word of the Lord. So I want you to understand that the first part of the first coming no one sees him but at the second part of the second coming everyone will see him. And no Notice also in the first part of the second coming, we're going up as saints. And at the second part of his coming, we're coming back down as saints. And we will be riding on white horses and with Christ to rule and to reign upon the earth in the millennial kingdom as kings and priests. This chapter opens up in a most unusual way. It opens up with one of darkness, a doom and gloom for God's people Israel, Jacob's trouble. Here, this scene actually opens up with the enemies of God mistaken mistakenly thinking that they have conquered his people and Jerusalem, the city of God. Look at verse 1 and 2. I'm building an introduction. Hang with me. I'll preach in a minute. But it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and the very and, they, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the house is rifled, and half the city shall go into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Notice the words, I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. We see in this battle that the enemy will have some success against that great city. The city shall be taken and the homes will be ransacked and the women will be ravished and half of the city shall go forth into captivity according to the very word of God. The Antichrist and his allies will sit in the middle of the city dividing the spoils of that which was taken. And even though the attack against Jerusalem will be severe and half of the city will go into captivity, yet the city itself will not be overthrown because in verse 2 the Bible says the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. What does that mean? That means that it appears that the Antichrist has completely controlled the city and he's overconfident because before, some, before the city is completely overcome there is power that has taken a control in order that the people have not lost that city totally. This event happens at what we call the end of the tribulation period. It has been set up due to the Jews in the middle of the tribulation period seeing that they have made a mistake by buying into this man by the name of the Antichrist. Three and a half years into the tribulation, the Antichrist will break covenant with the Jewish people and set himself up in the temple and he will demand that they worship him as God. This is known in scriptures, the term is called the desolation of abominations. The Jews will break away from the Antichrist at that three and a half year period 
period. And then the Antichrist will go out and form a ten-nation European federation. It is also known and called in Scripture as the old rise of the Roman Empire. The Antichrist then will come with those ten nations, the ten horns that Daniel seen, against Jerusalem. And this is the event that is spoken of in our text. This is when that Antichrist comes with that ten-nation federation and is going to wipe out Jerusalem. And he comes in and he has that success that we just talked about. No city on the planet Earth has been besieged so many times as that as Jerusalem. However, in the last attempt to besiege this city, what appears to be successful siege by the enemy, all of a sudden there is an interruption. I like divine interruptions. I don't know about you, but I like it right when you think that something's bad, something begins to shake and turn to the opposite direction. Can I have an amen? How many of you have ever had a divine interruption in your life? But right when this Antichrist and these ten nations think we have plundered and we're fixing to take the rest of the city, they're overconfident and all of a sudden this divine interruption begins to take place. Over half the city at this time we know is taken. Many have been taken captive, put into prison. Many of the Jews have escaped and fled to the mountains. The women have been ravished and raped. The spoils of the city have been taken. They've set out in the middle of the city and gloated and divided part of the spoils thinking it will just go take the rest of the city here in a few hours. House and dwellings have been burned and families have been divided and the goal of the enemy, let me say this, is to totally annihilate the people of God. It's always been his plan. Don't think that the enemy will let up on you if you'll just cave in. He's out to destroy you. The thief cometh not but to kill, to steal and destroy according to John chapter 10 verse 10. And right when it seems that this siege is complete and it seems that victory belongs to the enemy, the attacker, the allies of the Antichrist, these ten nations are caught off guard. Out of nowhere, a suddenly happens without warning, there is an invasion that takes place and the enemy is actually taken by surprise. Oh, hallelujah. Do you know that God knows how to still fight your battles? Can I have an amen? The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 3 through 5, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle and his feet shall stand on that day upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east and on the Mount of Olives which is on the west and the, and it, and the, and the Olives shall, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west and there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of the valley shall move toward the south and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel yea ye shall flee like as they fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah and the Lord my God shall come and his saints with him there's the key word that I wanted to get to the surprise is none other than the return of our Lord Jesus Christ coming to defend Israel and his people right when the enemy thinks that they have won Jesus will return and his feet will touch on the very place in which he ascended on the Mount of Olives the very place that the disciples seen him go off of and that very place that he stood that day and ascended is the very day that he's going to come back down and touch his feet upon that Mount of Olives the Mount of Olives when he touches the, his feet touches that place it will split in two and the surviving remnant will escape and Jesus then will route his enemies into what is known as the Valley of Megago this of course set up, sets up what is known as the Battle of Armageddon that will be fought this is where Christ displays his awesome power he treads the wine press alone and he fights for the people of God we see by description within our text the flesh will run off the enemy's bodies while they are yet still standing the enemy's eyes will rot within their sockets and their tongue will rot within their mouth that's what verse 12 literally says and some say that this is a nuclear attack because nations to this very day have weapons that will cause that to happen that the flesh will literally just just melt off of the off of the people yet others say no this is a plague of the Lord himself because he fights this battle by himself but regardless if it's the sheep nations that come in and a nuclear bomb is dropped or whether it's the Lord just sending the plague himself we don't know but all we know is right when it seemed that no power or human existence could prevent the total extinction 
sin of the Jewish people in Jerusalem, yet the Lord suddenly appears with his raptured saints and he goes forth and the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, he stains his raiment by the blood of the adversaries of his people because when they go out in the battle of Armageddon and that battle is fought according to Revelations 14 and 20, there will be blood flowing in that valley to the bridle of horses and let me tell you folks, the coming of Christ will not only destroy the enemies of Israel and the enemies of the people of God and the enemies of Jerusalem, but it will also set up a time of blessing upon the earth. Can I tell you, whenever the enemy is scattered, blessings come by the presence of the Lord. Our only hope in America is for the Lord to pour out his spirit and bring blessings upon the earth. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Oh, help me preach, God. Well, I'm about to preach. Hang on. Had on my Sunday high. Woo! When it comes, there'll be frightening changes on the earth and in heaven both. A new river will flow out of Jerusalem half toward the Dead Sea and half toward the Mediterranean Sea. And this not only speaks of a literal river, but it speaks also of a spiritual river. It fits the description of what Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 47 when he saw a river flowing out of the throne of God. It went out of the sanctuary, out into the streets, and it went down to the very Dead Sea and it brought life to everything it touched. This speaks of living water that will go forth out from Jerusalem, an everlasting stream of refreshment as this water flows from the throne in Jerusalem and it's divided into those two valleys that were split by Jesus putting his foot upon the Mount of Olives. One of them will flow down to what is called the Dead Sea and it will make it whole and the Dead Sea will be healed. It will no longer be considered dead. That sea that has never ever had life in it before, all of a sudden there it's going to be healed and it's going to be brought to life and there will be multitudes of fish. There will be multitudes of sea life come to it. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us it will be so great that the people will hang and dry their fish nets by it as they have catched multitudes of fish out of it. I'm looking at a dead country right now. I'm looking at a dead dry parts place but I'm here to tell you get ready, get ready, get ready. There's about to be a stream of God's refreshing blessing that's going to flow across this land and it's going to bring life back to America. Well, somebody praise the Lord in this house. My, 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 I don't... Woo! I got to get it out or I'm going to blow up. Zechariah 14.8 speaks of living waters. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem and half toward the hinder sea. Talking about that, that dead sea. The earthquake that forms those rivers as Jesus puts his feet upon the Mount of Olives also alters the landscape around Jerusalem. According to verses 9 through 11, we can't read all of this. You've read it. We've seen it. Sorry that it wasn't up on the thing. We're having problems. But mountains around the city are flattened so that Jerusalem is lifted up in the eyes of all the nation and Israel God is worshiped worldwide. I love that. Jesus becomes at this point the king of the earth. Although he's always been king of the earth, he's recognized by all of the world. Verse 9 says, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Oh, hallelujah. Right now, there's only a minority of the earth's population that worship God as the only, only true God. But on that day, the whole earth will come and bow before him and recognize him as king of kings and lord of lords. Now, that's not the great white throne judgment where every knee shall bow. But this is the time when all of the earth recognize Jesus as Messiah. Ever since Israel has been a nation and Jerusalem's been the capital city, the mountains around about Jerusalem have always been used to defend her. The mountains have been used like a security blanket for her. Matter of fact, they say that these great generals of war said that there's no greater 
greater defense around Jerusalem than the way that God landscaped them in that place around those mountains. But on that day, God makes an open declaration by the results of that earthquake. Jerusalem, the mountains are brought down as a plain. He said, Jerusalem, the mountains will no longer be your safeguard, your security, and the thing that you're going to put your trust in. But I'm the one that will guard your city. I am the one that will defend her. I am the one that will keep old Jerusalem. The Palestinians say Jerusalem is ours. And the Jews say no, Jerusalem is ours. And they're fighting to this very day over it. Rockets are being sent over there just because the children of Ishmael are fighting the children of Isaac. But I'm here to tell you, God says Palestinians, Jerusalem is not yours. Jews, Jerusalem is not yours. Jesus says Jerusalem is mine and I will defend her. Can I have an amen? God will be bringing Israel back to her original faith in God. This is where all of the Jews shall be saved according to what Paul preached in the book of Romans. He'll be bringing them back to their original faith that he is their watchman. He is their high tower. He is their fortress. He's their buckler. He's their shield. And they should put no trust in anything but him. That's why he said in Psalms 120, that's where God wants us to believe right now. Our trust is not in our government. Our trust is not in a president. Our trust isn't in a Congress. Our trust isn't in a Senate. Our trust is not in the House of Representatives. Our trust is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Can I have an amen? He and he alone is the only one that we put our full confidence in. Psalms 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord watch over the city, the watchman watcheth in vain. Not only would the Lord watch over the city, but he would build it. He would prosper it. Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited, Zechariah said. And they'll take the spoils of the wicked. There's going to be a divine, there's going to be a divine reversal here. This is where they come in at first, taking the spoils of Jerusalem. But before it ends up, I want you to know that Israel's going to take all of the spools of the heathen. There's going to be a divine reversal. And I want to prophesy and I want to declare over this nation today and over this church and over this city and over your lives, get ready, get ready, get ready because there's coming a divine reversal in your midst. That which has been stolen is going to be given back to you sevenfold. Give the Lord praise. Can I have an amen? This is why the verse two says, unless the Lord build the house or build the city, those that labor, labor in vain. God doesn't just want to keep his people, but he wants to prosper them. Did you know that God doesn't just want to watch over us, but he wants to bless us? I wish I had time to preach right there right now. You're talking about an awakening, a transformation, a revival in that day. Jerusalem will not only be spared, but the whole earth comes under the rule and the reign of the presence of God. And even though I understand that this is the time of the millennials being set up, I want you to know the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, just as I want the whole world to that I take full reign of the whole world, Yet he's saying right now, I want you to focus, Ken. I want you to tell the church I want to take full reign of the church. We're in the dispensation age of the church. And God wants to take full reign of the church. Can I have an amen? The Bible says in verse 20 and 21, In that day shall there be upon the bells of horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them. And in that day there shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. I wish I could preach on no more Canaanite. I'll have another message on that someday. I don't have time to explain all the things that Zechariah chapter 14 represents verse by verse. But my goal is to give you an overview so that you can see the divine pattern that God uses in order to establish his presence among us. How many wants God's presence established among us? I don't want God just to come by and give us a, a visit every once in a while. I want a holy inhabitation around here. Can I have a name? I want God to move in. I want God to sit. I want us to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. Can I have an amen that we're designed to be? I want to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And when people walk in, they fear and tremble because the presence of God is so strong here. That God takes full reign of the palace of praise. 
He shows us here that there will be no more profane or unholy thing among his people. This is God's, what God's desiring now. All things that men use for work, for profit, and even entertainment shall be consecrated under the service of the Lord. The war horses that's been cut off Jerusalem to this day, no war horse is permitted to go through Jerusalem because they're a symbol of war and that's supposed to be a symbol of peace. Yet they will be consecrated. These war horses will be consecrated to the Lord. The bells on those horses will bear the same inscription as the plate on the high priest's forehead, signifying the distinction between the sacred and the sacred. The sacred and the secular will be abolished. There'll be no difference. Just as there was bells upon the high priest that signified by the constant ringing of them when he done his ceremonial duties that they were consecrated and dedicated to God, you remember when the high priest went to the holies of holies and them bells were ringing, you knew that he was holy under the Lord and that, that them ceremonial cleansings that was taking place was accepted of God. But if that man was unholy, if that man was not fit for his service, God would strike him down and no one could go in there after him or they would be struck down and they had a rope tied around him and they would drag him out. But them bells was a sound of dedication. Even so, the constant ringing of the bells on horses will remind all of Israel that everything that is sacred and everything that is secular is to be dedicated and consecrated in their own right to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It will not be just the sacred things that have to be dedicated to the Lord, but also the secular. Nothing's really changed because it was Paul that said, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If there's one thing I want you to know, it's not only your spirit that you need to keep clean, you got to keep clean the secular as well. Amen? The pots that they would eat out of must be just as sacred and holy as the pots before the altar used in the ceremonies known as the bowls of sprinkling. Those bowls were used to hold the sacrificial blood of the sacrifice from off that altar and they would carry it in for the atonement of the people. In that day, everything shall be holy. Ball games will not replace worship. Material things will not choke out the word and the cares of life outdo or choke out the word according to Matthew 13. But even the secular things will be managed and kept in their proper place and be dedicated to the glory of God. God doesn't not want you to be entertained. God doesn't not want you to have a social life. But them things must come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. A matter of fact, if the people did not come to what is known as the Feast of the Tabernacles and observe it, and if they did not come to Jerusalem and worship, they would be punished because they are required by his presence to be there. Nothing's really changed. Isn't that what Hebrews 10, 25 says? Not for us to forsake the assemblings of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as so we see the day approaching. Why is it that people think they can quit, that they can that they're okay, they're on traveling ball teams and go all over the place and miss church. They have not sanctified the secular. Why is it that cheerleading practice is more important than going to a youth group? They have not secularized or sanctified the secular and not seen the importance of total commitment and dedicated to Jesus Christ. You're saying, well, you're being legalistic. No, I'm not being legalistic. This is what God demands. Amen? If they didn't go up to the Feast of Tabernacles, they were cursed with a plague. Famine would come upon their home and there would be no rain upon them. Rain signifying of the spiritual in the New Testament in the time of the dispensation of church. You know why people are part spiritually? Because they're too busy in the secular and they've not sanctified the secular in order to where Christ is the priority over everything else. Ah, oh God, that's a message in itself. The Feast of Tabernacles was commemorative of God's preservation of them making it through the 40 long years of the wilderness to get them to the promised land. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is, praising God for them preserving them. And can I tell you, every time we come into this house, we're praising God for preserving us. We're thanking God for Calvary. We're thanking God for what he done. We recognize his divine shield over our lives. And that day it will be holding us into the Lord throughout the world. Peace will reign. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no more war, killing, murder, theft. You can, there ain't going to be no locked doors. There ain't going to be nobody doing shady business transactions. There ain't going to be no corrupt government. Oh, somebody ought to shout on that one. Amen. 
There will be no more. There will be no more sacred and secular, for they all will be holding the Lord as it should be now. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we don't even pay attention to these scriptures. Whether therefore you eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. Everything you do ought to be for the glory of God. Nothing should stand in the way of glory. I have preached to you about this great event to show you what I believe is a pattern that seems to precede every great spiritual awakening or every great spiritual happening. Prior to this event, we see Jerusalem not in a good place. It's God's city, but yet it's plundered. We see this great city overrun by the Antichrist and his enemies before the Lord's intervention. We see the enemies are leisurely dividing the spoil from the city in the streets. They haven't completely taken over the city yet. They've taken over half of it. They're getting the spoils of it, and they're just sitting down laughing and saying, well, we'll easily take over the rest of the city. By all appearance, it seems that they have defeated the Jews, which is God's people, we see God's people in captivity. We see, them, we see others running for their lives, fleeing to the mountains. We see some persecuted. We even see some casualties. We see some people killed. And right before this event happens, the enemy is on the verge of destroying Israel and annihilating her. The enemy is gloating over what they think is their victory. Here it seems like the Antichrist and his armies are winning. It's a sad case. This not only happens at this event, which is the second part of his second coming, but this was actually the way it was at his first coming. The Roman Empire had taken over. The Jews were in bondage to them. They were looking for a Messiah that would free them out of Roman rule. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, come preaching repentance, and he stirred up violence everywhere. The Bible says in Matthew 11 and 12, which we preached on not too long ago, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffer violence, and the violence trying to take the kingdom of heaven by force. When John the Baptist come on the scene, he was the forerunner of Christ, and he began to preach Christ, and he stirred up a hornet's nest. All of a sudden, violence began to be poured out upon the people of God. The whole kingdom come under a siege, if you please. The forerunner of Jesus, the man that Jesus himself said, there's no greater man than this man, John the Baptist. The end result of him was that he was beheaded. His head was put on a silver platter, a charger, and it was presented to Herod to give to Herodias. Also due to Herod feeling threatened by hearing that the Messiah the, that, that was to be born at a certain time, this so-called king of the Jews, he had every male child killed under the age of two years old that would fall under the description of that time frame because he was afraid that king would rise up and take over his throne. And the land mourned according to the word of God and was filled with sorrow. Weeping was heard all throughout that land. The Bible tells us in Matthew 2 and 18 in Ramah, was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, a great mourning. Rachel, who was the mother of Israel, the wife of Jacob, who was Israel, weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. The whole nation was weeping over the loss of children. It was like our abortion today that's taken place. God, the killing of innocent children. And during this time, preceding the first coming of Christ, great persecution even came upon the prophets. We know that because when they would try to prophesy, Jesus went out in the city of Jerusalem on a hillside and he began to weep over it. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you would have only allowed me, I would have gathered you like a hen would gather her chicks under her wings, but you wouldn't let me. I sent unto you the prophets. I sent you the word of God to you, but you stoned them and you killed them and you were violent toward them. This persecution happened all the way to the cross where they finally cut down and killed the Rose of Sharon. They killed Jesus, the Son of God, and they thought they had won the battle. The demons laughed, and the principalities rejoiced, and darkness came upon all the land for the space of three, three solid hours as Jesus hung on that cross. Light had now went out. The light of the world had been put out. The candle of God had been put out. Hell was having a party because the dark domain has now ruled and reigned and darkness has come upon the earth. Oh, but let me just give it a little thing. Do you remember what happens when Jesus comes back in the book of Zechariah? There'll be no more day nor night, but in the night season, it'll be daytime. There'll be a divine reversal. At Calvary, when the Son of Man had been killed and he said, it is finished, darkness came upon the earth for three hours. But when Jesus comes back in the millennial reign, I want you to know, darkness, 
darkness is dispelled and light springs up and there's no more night at that particular time because the Son of God rules and reigns for a space of time. A divine reversal takes place. The disciples lost hope after this. Peter wants to go back fishing. The disciples that was leaving Jerusalem, the place of blessing, going back to Emmaus, they were looking at Jesus as nothing but a, a hoax and his ministry as nothing but a fairy tale. Everybody had lost hope. Just like prior to Jesus' second coming, when he sets up his millennial kingdom, it seemed that all hell broke out. Things got worse before they got better. But right when the enemy had thought that they had won, Jesus raises from the dead on that third day. Just like the suddenly at his second coming, you remember what happened? He comes at a time of gross darkness and Jerusalem was plundered, the city overrun, the people scattered and taken into captivity. The enemy was rejoicing, thinking they had won, but Christ comes and puts his foot upon the Mount of Olives, fights their battle and destroys the enemy. Even so, Christ at his first come, coming, he raises from the dead, he shows himself for 40 days and 40 nights to his disciples and 10 days later, another suddenly happens. Pentecost is poured out on the church. It was endued with power of the Holy Ghost, clothed with might, empowered by spirit. Great signs and wonders followed the disciples and they turned the world upside down with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I have an Amen. What was designed to, by the enemy to destroy the church empowered the church. Peter preaches one sermon, 3,000 people are saved. The more the enemy tried to stop them, the more the disciples scattered and the saints were multiplied according to the word of God. And it seems like that every time something of spiritual significance begins to happen, there is a rise of demonic activity. There is a movement to try to take out, stop, hinder or slow down that which is about to happen at any cost. The enemy gets ridiculous. They get blatant. They get in your face. They come out of the closet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Every time something significant is about to happen in the spirit realm, the atmosphere is charged with excitement. There is a movement in the spirit world, hostile forces, spiritual antichrist, opposing the future event that God has got designed for, designed for his people. Can I have an Amen. Prophecies and words of knowledge spoken over the churches and cities and nations and individuals. They're attacked and the demons and the devils and the principalities try to nullify and void them out by trying to stop them from coming to pass. Amen? Does that not sound like where we're at right now? Somebody with me? Has there not been an atmosphere shift and a change in the spit ram in the last four or five years? Has anybody recognized that? How many knows we're living in an unusual season? Come on. Has there not been some unbelievable prophecies go out over this nation? Has there not been some prophets spoken and is the devil not trying to make them look foolish? Are they not being persecuted? Come on. Has there not been more people praying and anticipating something of great significance to take place in this nation in the last three years than there has been in a long, long, long time? Have we not been praying and believing for a, an awakening, a revival, and outpouring of this land for over four years, almost five years now right here in this church? Have we not had some incredible prophecies over our church and visions that we have seen and of the, of the greatness of God's presence that's coming? We have a de declaration over this congregation that we're going to be blessed, that we're going to be the head and not the tail, that we're going to go in the forefront, that we're going to be a catalyst, that an awakening's coming, we're going to be a remnant church, and God is going to fill this place with his glory. Do you believe it? Yeah. Then if you believe it, stand to your feet and praise through the storm. If you believe it, praise through your storm you're faced with. I'm about to preach. Oh, you can beat that. Give him praise for what you believe. I believe it. It's been prophesied. It's been declared. It's been decreed. It's been seen in vision. It's been confirmed by the mouth of more than two and three witnesses. Somebody say amen. amen. Devil, I got news for you. It don't matter how you don't like it. 
It don't matter that you're out to try to stop it. It don't matter that you're out to rise up against it. It doesn't matter that you're going to try to assail against it. You're not going to slow it down. You're not going to hinder it. You're not going to stop it because there's a divine reversal coming to the palace of praise and the people of God and to the United States of America. Hell shall not ascend upon this rock. I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm preaching victory to this place this morning. There's victory in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, you may be seated. Do we not believe in the last day harvest that supersedes anything the world has ever seen before? You believe it's about to happen with me? Do we not believe that the latter house should be greater than the former house? Do we not believe that the latter rain should be greater than the former rain? Hello? Do we not believe the words of Jesus, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father? We have seen a glimpse of the shifting. We see the rise of spiritual noodle in the land and even in the White House in the last four years. Now, what I'm about to say, I'm not preaching any kind of politics here. I'm just going to state fact. Is that all right? The Muslim prayer at the White House under President Obama where they took off their shoes, they got on their rug, and even President Obama took his shoes off and got down with them and knelt and prayed to Allah, which replaced the day of prayer that was canceled due to President Obama saying, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, he offended me when he allowed the Muslims to do that. But something shifted after he was out of office. A man was prophesied that he would get in, and he did. Upset everything. It was a divine reversal. Whether you like him, whether you don't, it's not, I'm not even here preaching. There's things about him I didn't even like. That's okay. I'm just stating fact. There were prophecies. They come to pass. That guy that everybody laughed and said he had never happened, he became president. President Trump reinstated the National Day of Prayer at the White House. And evangelicals and pastors and spiritual leaders and evangelists and Protestants gathered and prayed to the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ. Regular prayer meetings, spiritual advisors were scheduled at the White House to speak to Donald Trump. President Trump met with spiritual leaders from all denominations across America on a regular basis seeking their advice. Gospel music concerts returned back to the White House under Trump. Rallies across America just all of a sudden began to happen out of nowhere. Whether it was preaching, whether it was worship services, whether it was tent meetings, spiritual hunger began to begin to be built in our country. Under President Trump, we made Israel our closest ally. Rallies of Christians would gather around Washington by the hundreds of thousands, even a million in a service to worship, to praise, and declare the word of God. Unbelievable never happened before. President Trump moved the embassy of Jerusalem the embassy back to Jerusalem, which all other presidents were afraid to do. President Trump done more for our religious freedom and our Christian rights than all of the other presidents put together. He was the greatest pro-life president of all time. He was the first president that would ever go to a pro-life rally and speak publicly. He abolished the Johnson Law, which was there was, the law would prohibit religious groups, churches, 501Cs from speaking anything politically without facing the consequences. We don't have time to go into everything that went on. I'm not here to preach Trump. I'm just showing you the shift that took place in America. How many see the shift? How many knows it's real? Come, come on, I'm trying to enlighten you today. We begin to see revival breaking out from California all the way to the East Coast. Then all of a sudden, a shift changes. The election turmoil came and took place. And now all of a sudden... Darkness has come upon our land, just like that. There's the defunding of police, violence in the street. Our government now has been found out just in the last 30, 40 days of funding terrorist groups with our taxpayers' money. Border crisis like unbelievable. Loss of jobs. Sanctuary cities rampant where you can go commit crimes and nothing can be done to you. Hate groups. 
The push for the Equality Act, which is destroying the Christian rights and could shut down churches. The rise of persecution upon churches and pastors is unbelievable, especially in the West Coast in California. Gas pipelines are shut down due to hackers. China not sending us parts and shutting down factories to hurt our economy. Heavy inflation is on the rise. Future tax hikes coming by the mouth of our own president. Drug cartels flooding in America. They've done got it at, so I forget, like 300% or whatever it was. Gang members on the rise. Human sex trafficking on an all-time high. Child abuse, crime, and murder all on the rise and in some places double and triple digits where gun rights are attacked where this, the normal citizens of the United States can't even have a gun to protect themselves. Come on. People living the, leaving the cities due to the complete collapse of them. The list goes on and on and on and on and on of the things that's going on, folks. I think here's where you and I are tested. We look around and it seems like the bad guys are winning. And in some cases, it does seem like they won, both in a national level and even in a local level sometimes. The bad politicians have advanced and the good are being attacked and persecuted and even some of them falsely accused and even taken before courts. Injustices is being seen in the FBI and the Department of Justice where there's one justice for the conservative and another justice for the for right liberal. Do I have any amens in this house? And it seems the guy at work who cheats and lies and gets it, and, and, and he gets the promotion, but the more honest you are, you come out with what appears to be the loser. Amen? Worldly people spend their time and their money and their resources pursuing pleasure, and it seems like they just live a life of peace and happiness. Nothing really ever happens. While it seems that those who obey God and give their money and their time to the kingdom of God they seem to have problem after problem after problem. Afflictions and sicknesses and illnesses and attacks and worship, I mean, uh, uh, and hardships coming against us like never before. Every time you turn around, you hear somebody afflicted. Every time you turn around, somebody's going through some kind of a crisis. I've never done so much praying in my life over this congregation of everything that's going on. All hell's coming against it. Are you serious? Are you with me? You say, man, you're preaching doom and gloom. Oh, no, I'm not. Get ready. It's like what David said in Psalm 73. He felt like that one time. The wicked forsake God and prosper, but the righteous is chastened every day. The wicked can do what they want to do, and there's no judgment on them. They can just prosper. But, man, anytime we get out of line, we get a whipping. Come on. Thank God for that whipping. And if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to join the other side because it doesn't seem like that God is coming through for us. It seems to be the pattern right before God begins to do something of great spiritual wickedness that we're tested to our very limit. Have you ever noticed that it was the fourth watch of the night that Jesus comes walking to his disciples? Why didn't he come at the first watch? The first watch is from six o'clock in the afternoon to nine. Second watch is from nine to midnight. The third watch is from midnight to three o'clock in the morning, but Jesus didn't come between, but somewhere between three and six o'clock in the morning. And they've been out there all night toiling and rolling. And if you look at that, 48 hours before they ever get in the ship, they've been doing ministry with Jesus that they're exhausted and they're wore out and they get out in the middle of the sea and, the, and all of a sudden this storm comes, they're exhausted, they're wore out and they're fighting the storm and they're trying to keep the boat afloat. Why didn't he come and make it easy on them? Why didn't he come in the first night of the watch if he really cared? Why did he wait to the fourth watch of the night? Some of you are out there right now and it's dark and you're fighting to keep your head above the water and you're wondering where in the world is the Lord at? Why is all this going on? I don't understand. And you look over at old Joe who's sleeping around on his wife, who's cheating his a job and he's got cars, he's got motorcycles, he's got boats, he's got pleasure. He's just having it fine. And you look around and you're fighting to keep your head above the water and you're wondering what in the world's going on. Come on. Have you ever noticed that it was four days after Lazarus died that Jesus showed up? Hello? Have you ever noticed that it was at the midnight hour, the darkest hour? that Paul and Silas was delivered from prison? 
Have you ever noticed that the mill barrels and the oil barrels were completely dry before the prophet shows up on the scene at Zarephath? I could go on and on and on all through scripture. But I want to tell you something. Even though he was four days late with Lazarus, yet there was still a resurrection. Even though he waited till midnight, there was an earthquake that freed Paul and Silas. Even though there was no meal and there was no oil when the prophet showed up, before it was over, the meal barrels were overflowing and the oil barrels were overflowing. And I'm here to tell you, you may be at your darkest hour. You may be at your midnight hour. You may be in your fourth watch. But I'm here to tell you, the Son of God is faithful. He's about to break through. Light is about to spring up. God's about to come to your rescue. Can I have it? God tests his people and he will only give his abundance to those he can trust with it. Some say, well, what good is it? What good is it that we had worship in the White House? What good is it that prayer rallies were all over the nation and worship services broke out at the nation? What good is it that we had spiritual advisors for the president? They lost How many's heard that before? What good was it? They lost. Why do we do what we do? We don't ever win. <laughs> Even though it looked like they lost, I want you to understand. The Lord wants me to tell this congregation something. It ain't over yet. It looked like they lost when Jerusalem was plundered and they were about to take the rest of the city, but it suddenly happened. It looked like that they had lost when the Son of Man died, but on the third day, he rose again. Come on, somebody help me preach. I'm gonna have to get off my notes. Woo, I feel it stirring in my soul. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And I'm here to tell you, it may look like that we've lost. It may look like it's uh, done and it's through. It may look like there's no hope. It may look like that darkness has flooded the earth. It may look like that we're counted out. It may look like we're taken over. Come on. It may look like they have control of the Senate and they have control of the White House and they have control of the Congress and they have control. Come on. It may look like that. But I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Be not weary in well-doing, for you shall reap if you faint not. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth. That shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall reap of the flesh destruction. But if he sows to the spirit, he shall reap of the spirit everlasting life. And I hear the sound of the mulberry trees getting ready to blow. I hear the abundance of rain. And I'm here to tell you it may look like we're counted out and there's no hope and darkness has come upon America and we're the losers. But I'm here to tell you the second coming of Jesus Christ is about to take place, something significant. And prior to it does, there's going to be a divine reversal and God is going to bless his people and we're not going out as a whimpered old church. We're going out just like Israel did when they left Egypt we're going with the spools of the wicked in our hands believe what you want to believe be negative if you want to I'm here to tell you the day spring light is about to spring up I feel like the Holy Ghost is going to speak right now. Obey the Spirit of the Lord, somebody.
Why is it that you don't believe me, saith the Lord? Have I not said that I'd be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother and I'd never leave you nor forsake you? Have I not said that I am the same yesterday and today and forever? Have I not touched Israel and always preserved them and kept them? And will I not keep them until the end? For I have declared it and prophesied it. But even so, you are my bride. I have washed you with my own blood. I have cleansed you and saved you for this divine time. I will not leave you as I have never left my people. And in the right time, I'm going to move. And when I do, you be ready. Be counted faithful. Do not look to the oppression and the prosperity of the wicked. For they shall be cut off and they shall be cut down like the the grass, saith the Lord. But I will exalt my church. I exalted them when they come out of Egypt. I exalted them and I will exalt them at the millennial reign where they'll take the spools of the wicked. Even so, you'll take the spools of this land. You will be a mighty church, a glorious church without spot and without blemish, saith the Lord. I will come and make you whole before the second coming of my presence. But be ready for such an hour because when it pours out, it's just for a short time. You don't have time to delay, saith the Lord. I want you to know, be obedient to me and you'll see those great things that have been declared and prophesied over your life. I will bring them to pass and nothing in hell will stop me, saith the Lord of hosts. I'll give him praise. He's already said it. I was going to preach to you. Why should we believe Zechariah's prophecy? I'll tell you why. Because he prophesied about the first coming. He even, and it happened just like he said it did. He prophesied how that they'd even have a coat tied up for him. A donkey had never been rode upon. That came to pass when he went into, trial, into Jerusalem riding upon the coat. He prophesied about being betrayed of 30 pieces of silver. That happened by Judas. Everything Zechariah's ever prophesied has come to pass. And that which is in this scripture shall also come to pass. I'm telling this church, do not get faint hearted. Do not lose heart. Do not lose your hope because your hope belongs to faith and faith declares that you'll have the things in which is unseen I say unto you do not let your eyes dictate to you what to think let the mind of Christ tell you what to see I see glory 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 I see salvation I see salvation I see salvation I see healing I see healing I see healing I see victory I see victory. I see victory. Would you stand with me, please?